everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Hausman, and welcome to Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. So let's talk about it. Welcome to episode two of our podcast, where we're going to dive into Easter 3 of year B for those that um, follow into that revised common lectionary thing. For other people, this is just the New Testament reading that you're going to hear two Sundays after Easter, probably. Um, Our special guest for this week is, I just made you a special guest, not a regular guest, but a special guest, um, is Pastor Kevin Baker, uh, who is a pastor at First Lutheran Church in Lone Rock, Wisconsin, and St. Paul Evangelical Lutheran Church in Wazika. Did I say that right? Wisconsin. You got it. Wazika. Awesome. Great. Um, it's so weird to me sometimes that like you're in Wisconsin still, and I know that you've been there for a while. Um, but I remember this one story you were telling me uh, as when you were getting ready to do Yagam in a particularly cold country. And as a Texan, you like, were trying to figure, and you had this huge parka. I just still remember that story of you trying to fit this huge parka in your suitcase when you also had to like pack for an entire year. Right. With the kicker of that being that at the last minute at orientation, like four days before getting on a plane, my assignment changed from being up in the Andes in Argentina and like in a ski resort town to going to Uruguay, which has a climate like North Carolina. So it's like, great. Half of my suitcase is being taken up by a parka that I am now not going to use. (laughs) I have no opportunity to repack. Fun times. Yeah. Well, I do still have it. Like, is that the parka? I feel like where you live in Wisconsin, you definitely now have adjusted to the cold. I do have it. I have only a few times since I've moved to the Midwest, I've had to bust it out. Um, the winter of like late 2013, early 2014 was awful. And I, uh, we had some like 50 below wind chills in Chicago when I was living there. So uh, yeah, I imagine um, that winter in Iowa was a January that set a record that it was uh, 24 consecutive days where it didn't get above zero. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's, that sounds about right. Yeah. It was awful. Uh, there were lots of moments where I had to remind myself that I chose to live in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I could have just gone back to Texas. You chose this, buddy. You right. chose this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's some other good things. I, I mean, I personally like snow, but that's I mean, just me. No, I, I enjoy seasons. I enjoy it not being 90 plus degrees all year round with Houston humidity. Yeah. See, bonuses. Like, I mean, they're, they're good things. It, it's a trade-off. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's get into our lesson for today. Um, so today we're going to talk about Acts 3 verses 12 through 19. Um, and before I read it, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, Acts and Luke are, are written by the same author. Acts is like the part two to Luke being the part one. Um, and something to note about this. So Acts and Luke together actually makes up 27.5% of the New Testament, which is the largest contribution by a single author. 
which is just means, you know, a lot, a lot of influence there in, in that. Um, and the, the author is never names themselves. Um, but traditionally, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, uh, traditionally the, the author was considered to be Luke, like one of the guys that hung out with Paul, but um a lot of scholars think if you if you really analyze the the theology between acts and luke and um, the authenticated pauline letters that they're enough differently that they think that like the author rex and luke knew paul knew who paul was but wasn't necessarily close with paul because of the the differences um as well right. as the differences in the story of, of uh, paul's conversion in acts um, is kind of like not in sync with how Paul talks about um, his own conversion. Right. Yeah, you get some fairly significant differences in Paul's biography, for sure, between what he lays out and kind of authentically Pauline letters like Galatians and between what you find in, in Acts. Like they're obviously like similar stories in many regards, mm -hmm. but there are some significant changes. And in terms of underlying theology, I would certainly argue that Luke and Paul, well, Luke, the, yeah. <laughs> the author frequently known as Luke, whether or not it was somebody named Luke or not, uh, are different in enough significant ways to where I don't quite buy the Luke is like the gospel according to Paul, like some people used to yeah. try to present it. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing, so just so our, 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 our listeners that are joining us that have no, you know, they didn't go to seminary and aren't talking this crazy Bible talk uh, like Kevin and I, um, that it's important to understand the background um, of, of Bible books and, and their histories. Uh, because what they have to say um, means what it does because of the context in which it's in. Um, mm -hmm. When we Absolutely. take parts of the Bible out of their context um, and just use them for whatever purposes that, that, that we think that they mean when they stand alone um, is actually kind of abusive to the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. And we call this proof texting um, when you just take things out and make it say what, what you want to say, um, which lots of Christians are really, really good at doing um, of deciding what I want to say and then making the Bible fit into that somehow. Um, and, and this is a problem right. because um, it kind of, you know, uh, it dirties the Bible, right? Like if we're using it, you, you know, using it against what it's, what's written there. Um, it'd be like... Right. Well, it'd be like, okay, so like, I really hate, like, think about when someone takes what you say out of context, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, you're making me sound like a total asshole. That's not what I said, right? Um, yep. <laughs> and so that same way, we shouldn't use the the Bible in, in that same way. Right, absolutely. And the context can, teaches us so much about how to read the Bible faithfully and as close to the original kind of intent that the very human people who put words on the paper here, you know, in the would have one of their original audiences to hear because, you know, any text to be at the Bible or anything else is ultimately a product of who's writing it and their background, where they're writing it from, how they see the world, their experiences mm -hmm. and their intended audience. Yes. And you know the both similarities and differences between those two things that kind of dance between them yeah you know and understanding that 
Luke, for example, is probably largely written with an audience of people who aren't coming from a strong background in Judaism, unlike certain other parts in the New Testament, like Matthew's gospel, for example, really affects how we hear what's there in that text and, you know, kind of make sense of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so for for those that are like, well, I'm not going to go to seminary and I'm never going to know all of that. Um, there are things that you can do if you just, um, there are study Bibles out there that have just some background information on, on each of the books of the Bible that just really help um, put things in context. They also, you can get ones, they have, you know, little notes in the margins and stuff. So uh, a study Bible is a really, really good companion if you're trying to figure out some of these deeper things um, and um, you don't have, you know, like a pastor on speed dial to ask questions to. Um, because right. pastors can be really long-winded anyways. Um, that's a sign, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never. So you might be better at getting a study Bible anyways. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, let's dive into Acts. Okay. So Acts 3, verses 12 to 19. Peter addressed the people, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. There's a lot going on there. There is a lot going on there in only, what, like seven verses or so? Yeah. Um, something to, I, I guess, a little background information um, is we're referring to this healing right here that um, Peter and John had healed a man who was just hanging mm -hmm. out outside of the temple. In Jerusalem. Right. And that, and this is in the fairly immediate aftermath of the day of Pentecost and mm -hmm. the day when the Holy Spirit yes. descends upon the disciples who are kind of left behind after Jesus has gone back up into heaven and it causes a big ruckus. People are wondering what's going on with all this like noise and people speaking in foreign languages and stuff. These, kind of powerful signs of the Holy Spirit acting. And then Peter gives up and gives this like huge sermon and thousands of people decide to join this brand new Christian community. Mm -hmm. And so the story picks up in Acts 3 right after that. So right. like the city is already just like a buzz with everything that's going on. Right. And so Peter then, you know, and John heal this guy and it's, 
you know, again, like causes a big public scene that's like throwing gasoline on the fire they already started. Right. Since a chapter later, they get arrested for this. Yes, and who arrests them? (laughs) Well, that's a great question and leads us right into uh, one of the most challenging parts of certainly this passage and really the New Testament in general, I think for Christians in the 21st century who want to be good neighbors to people of other faiths is that it basically says the Jews did it. Yeah. So we talked about this a a little bit in, in last week's podcast um, because in, in, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Jews is used 16 times, um, and it is used, I forgot, I think 61. It's an obnoxious amount in the, in the Gospel of John. Um, but who takes the yeah. cake with the Jews the most is the Book of Acts at a whopping mm-hmm. 81 times. The Jews. That's a lot of references to the Jews. And using that very loaded term for us in 2020. Exactly. So let's unpack this term a, a little bit and kind of its use um, in the New Testament scriptures and, and how that has affected the history of, of Christianity and really a lot of the history of, of the Jewish nation. Uh, nation Jewish, that's probably not the most politically correct way to say that. Um, those who practice Judaism. Of, those who practice Judaism, yeah. Mm-hmm. All over uh, the world. Obviously here, like, I mean, one thing that has to be said straight up is already when you are reading in a Bible, the usage of the word, the Jews, you've already encountered a translation decision made by whoever it is who was tasked with taking the Greek text of the original form of the New Testament and translating it into English. Because the word in Greek there, you can swing it a few different ways like you can certainly save the jews you could also narrow the focus to kind of first century political geographical realities and say the judeans the people who live in the roman province of judea where most of the action in certainly the gospels takes place or or even more specific of particularly the jewish leaders at, right. at the time yeah right those like, who were in power because i mean that's mm-hmm. the thing and so to me that's the thing that we need to be able to parse out um is understanding that the people who had jesus put to death it was a threat to their power as leaders mm-hmm. um politically in the in the church as well as in society because they did have have a role in in political leadership in society right like he mm-hmm. was threatening their power right and I mean, the whole story that we hear, you know, during Holy Week, the lead up to Easter is fundamentally the story of how these people in positions of power strike back against this person whose message and whose identity is posing such a threat to their, you know, dominance of, you know, kind of decision-making processes in their society based off of kind of their close connection with the Roman government because, you know, and the you know kind of colonial reality that they lived in, that Jesus spent his ministry challenging. Right. And that, you know, in Acts, 
like it seems like a lot of the drama here initially is that there seems to be this sense that you know with jesus gone and out of the picture there seems to be this hope on the part of the leadership there in jerusalem you know kind of like the religious and societal leaders that oh well he's gone now so things are going to get back to normal mm-hmm. and then this stuff happens and they don't and they're like great these folks are like gathering you know more people than followed jesus when he was alive to his message and they're like doing crazy stuff in the temple like showing off this power that we don't have you know we need to crack down on this before things get out of hand again Right, they're continuing to just try to eliminate what are perceived uh, threats to their power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think so that's very important to identify because the, the problem in some of the language that, that we get or that, as, as you have pointed out, are translation decisions made by those that are translating it um, into languages other than Greek. And we put that on, on just an entire people um, that it's what feeds this this consistent and persistent anti-Semitism that has e- existed. Um, and that has as something to do with, uh, you know, even right here, it's this, this exact phrase right here. And you killed the author of life. Yep. Yeah, like that was when I, you told me which week in the lectionary we were going to be taking a look at. And I, you know, pulled up the readings for that Sunday like that was the first thing that jumped out at me was like, ooh, well, no way I'm not going to have to talk about that if that gets read in church on Sunday morning. Because in like this particular day and age where we have seen a rise and open blatant displays of hatred towards Jewish people in this country... Like, you can't just leave something hanging there that could be grasped at by somebody who harbors that hatred in their heart as, you know, an excuse for it. It's like, oh, well, they killed Jesus. So clearly, you know, they must be awful. All of them, even 2000 years later, which is clearly not what this text is trying to do. Yeah. But it's really not hard to get from you wanted a murderer released and you killed an innocent man to the Jews are terrible and the source of all of this evil in the world. Right. That the Jews is who killed um, the savior of the world. Um, which by the way, like that view point of view has never really made sense to me um, in the aspect of how we even talk about atonement theories um, right. Atonement theories are, are, are ways that scholarly, not even scholarly, we're going to talk about it, are ways to talk about how Jesus saves, as in the exact mechanisms of, of what happens, like how is it that Jesus saves. Um, and, and so a, a most basic part of pretty much any theory um, is that Jesus went willingly um, and that it was foretold and that God knew this was going to happen. Right. So it's uncomfortable to me that then all of the blame gets placed on the Jews. Because think about it, people, you're so mad at the Jews for killing Jesus. But if the Jews hadn't killed Jesus, right. you wouldn't have Christianity. Um, 
yeah, that's like that's a little bit baffling. Of like, yeah. you you can't really cut like have that both ways. Of you know, the death of and resurrection of Jesus opens up eternal life for us, and it was part of God's plan from the beginning of the universe. Prejudice and hatred aren't exactly subjects to the same kind of logic as the rest of you know our thought processes either, because they're not fundamentally logical things, right? Well, and so like, I guess to me, that's the the challenge that every Christian really, I guess there's a lot of challenges Christians need to really kind of spend some time contemplating on their own. But this is a challenge that every Christian really yeah. just needs to sit with a little bit of, um, you know, how do you define your faith without it being at the expense of an entire other religion of people? Right. No, I think you're, you're right on. Like, that's one of the fundamental questions of how, how we're invited to relate to the rest of the world, especially in the kind of small world globalized society that we inhabit now where, you know, 50, 60 years ago, like thinking about like, you know, like the world my grandmother grew up in. You know, you know, having grown up in the country in East Central Texas, you know, like there was racial diversity there, but there was not religious diversity. Like my grandmother was probably an adult before she met anybody who was not either Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist or Pentecostal based on where she grew up. Not even Catholics? Oh, no, there were the Catholics, but it, <laughs> 60, 70 years ago, growing up in uh, East Central Texas, you prob- probably would have categorized that as finding somebody of a different religion. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that sometimes today, even. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the thing with. Um... Like a Lutheran. <laughs> yes, that is a very Lutheran thing. <laughs> um, so, I. I, that actually brings something up when you think about, um, you know, coming from a, a Lutheran identity and understanding what our historical role in anti-Semitism has been. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Luther was um, was really anti-Semitic. Um, it was he was not um, one of the things that I'm for sure not proud of in in our Lutheran heritage. And that there's a distinct intersection between those two realities as well yeah. when it comes to the ways in which some of Luther's writings were seized upon in the 1930s and 40s in Nazi Germany and used to stir people up and justify the Holocaust. Um, Luther began his career with this sort of enthusiasm that, well, maybe now that I am freeing the gospel from the shackles in which it's been put for centuries by the establishment Roman Catholic Church, maybe, you know, our, you know, our Jewish neighbors here around us will, will finally be, you know, freed from the terrible baggage that's been put upon it by, you know, the church's misuse of it to bludgeon them over the heads and use it as an excuse for persecution. And they'll come and see the loving face of God through Christ. Yeah. And then when Jewish people did not start converting en masse, as soon as they read like one of Luther's pamphlets, suddenly he was much less fond of them as a group of people and wrote charming documents with names like on the Jews and their lives. Right. Which then of course the Nazis are like, Luther is like 
the most German German ever to have ever been German. He invented the German language. Look what he has to say about these folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that we have to own and, and wrestle with, mm-hmm. with, with our identities. Um, I also just want to say for those that are maybe feeling like, wow, we're horrible. Um, wrestle with that a little bit. And um, Christians didn't invent anti-Semitism either. Um, no. There's actually the, the history of that goes, goes long before. And part of that's actually tied up um, the, the, the oppression from the Greco-Roman Empire, right? So this actually, as much of Christianity spread into the Greco-Roman world, right? And that Christianity then take held in those people, um, it was like extra power to hate the Jews, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it existed before Christ. Um, and, and then these, these writings just kind of made it worse. Right. Yeah, I mean, it feels the sense that there was, and from like you said early on, I mean, you, because it's Marcion, who was early Christian theologian, whose kind of his shtick was that the God of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, was, you know, the sort of bad, evil tyrant but so Jesus and the way that he depicts God in the new Testament, you know, liberates us from that. So we shouldn't read any of the Hebrew scriptures and we really just need Luke's gospel acts and Paul's letters to you know, guide the way for us. And he was at the very least, he was condemned as a heretic by the wider church. So there was some recognition at the time that his idea is yeah, stuck, but, but, at the same time bad ideas don't come out of nowhere (laughs) like they're usually reflective of at the very least undercurrents of mainline thought you know the kind of unspoken part that nobody wants to throw out there until like somebody's uncle gets drunk at thanksgiving and you know says the quiet racist part out loud yeah so the 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 article that I lifted up last week, um, Feminist Anti-Judaism and the Christian God by Judith Plaskow, uh, which you can find in the book, The Strength of Her Witness, which is edited by Elizabeth Johnson. Um, Judith Pascal lifts up some of these things that we've been talking about. Um, and particularly, you know, one thing um, that what brings us to mind um, as, as Kevin brings that up is that the God of what we call the Old Testament, right, which is just the Jewish, which is just the Hebrew canon, right? It's just the Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, that this God is a fully formed um, God who is a God of um, punishment and a God of mercy and love. Um, that there's not like this Old Testament wrathful God and then God learns how to love in the New Testament with Jesus. Like, no. Um, that's, that's not how that works. Um, and so it's up to us to kind of like understand that, (laughs) that, um, that the God of love has been the same God of love since the beginning of time. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you don't even have to dig that hard, like looking through the Hebrew scriptures to arrive at the conclusion that, you know, God who is depicted there is fundamentally a gracious merciful god i mean for goodness sake like it literally 
those of us who are in liturgical traditions that use some of the traditional refrain all through Lent, like for the gospel acclamation that we use, like, you know, like before the reading of the gospel lesson in church is, mm-hmm. you know, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's a refrain that's listed directly out of the Hebrew scriptures and occurs multiple times. Where's it at? Um, so my favorite usage of it, and the one that I think of immediately is in Jonah, where Jonah actually uses it mockingly against God, <laughs> where Jonah, you know, this, you know, call to be a prophet, tries to run away, things don't go well. Jonah's one of, well, I, I, call the, the- I call Jonah one of the, the whiny little bitch prophets. I mean- there's a, there's a couple of them. <laughs> I, yeah, and Jonah really takes the cake for it, which, you know, if I got stuck in a fish's stomach for three days, I'm probably not going to be my best version of myself oh, either. True. So, yep. <laughs> but if, if, if I'm being honest. But so after he gets regurgitated back on land, like goes and does what God told him to do and goes to the capital of Assyria, a city called Nineveh, you know, the worst enemies of ancient Israel and, you know, prophesies to them that if they don't repent, God's going to destroy the city. Well, then they repent. And so God doesn't destroy the city. And then Jonah is pissed about it (laughs) and like goes and like sulks in the wilderness because he's so mad that God didn't like bring the fire and brimstone. He still smelled like fish. He tried to get away. You made him come here. Right. And so and then Jonah gives his reason for why he didn't want to do this. Like, I knew, I knew you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger, to abounding with steadfast love, and you were gonna spare these bastards. Because <laughs> the moment they like threw up their hands and said they were sorry, you were gonna not like burn the city to the ground. I was like, like if you know, like a you know text like that, like makes it so clear that like the prevalent understanding of god's nature is grace and mercy yeah like you can't go and label 39 books of our you know 66 book bible as being oh well that's just all like law and like god being terrible it's like god didn't go to anger management like (laughs) between malachi and like matthew like the the same consistency of behaviors there and by the same token like g like the preaching of jesus isn't just you know, sunshine and rainbows and puppies either. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like there's an awful lot of, you know, things, you know, and they're about like, you know, likening humanity to a field full of weeds. And eventually the weeds will be pulled up and cast into the fire. It's like grace and mercy. Uh, listen, no judgment there. I, okay. <laughs> Um, you nailed it. And, and reasons to do podcasts like this is to own those things and to say like, listen, this is a part of our Bible, the old Testament and the new Testament, that there are ugly parts of both. There are parts that make us uncomfortable. Jesus says a lot of things that should make us uncomfortable. If they don't make you uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you're maybe not thinking about it hard enough. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's like I'm like I'm all for have for lifting up passages of scripture from you know old or new Hebrew or Greek that you know are full of those like promises of love and grace and mercy. But 
we do ourselves, our faith and the world around us a disservice by trying to shove everything else under the rug. Yeah. Because the unspoken parts that we don't wrestle with, you know, when we read something that says the Jews killed Jesus on Sunday morning and then don't wrestle with how the very real ways for 2000 years in which people have seized a hold of that and used it to in fact go and kill Jewish people, Mm -hmm. you know, by not like we haven't talked about it a whole lot for the last two millennia and that didn't work out so well for us. So maybe responsible faith in the 21st century looks kind of like talking about it. Yeah. And I'd say that's a shortcoming of um, maybe most pastors um, to just, you know, not want to, not want to touch that. Right. Like, I just won't like, sure. Um, uh, but the thing is, is so it, it's incredibly important. Um, it also can be done in subtle ways of just when you're reading the mm-hmm. Bible of parsing things out of set of anywhere where it says the Jews, um, to be really specific, who are they actually talking to or yeah. about, right? Like if it's any time when you're, you know, gonna, gonna read the passion story, um, or anywhere where it says the Jews, you can replace it with the Jewish leaders or the Jewish authority, mm-hmm. um, that those are totally appropriate and accurate ways to, to read the Bible. Um, and I would say even actually more accurate ways, but these little and subtle things mm-hmm. can then help listeners understand the difference and to hopefully start to slowly break down um, this at least the Christian lens of, of the anti-Semitic um, thing that's been going on for too long. Right. You know, and it's worth noting here too, like another piece of, like we talked a little bit, you know, at the outset of things about the importance of understanding the context, mm-hmm. you know, out of which, you know, the scriptures are written. Like I loved in, uh, when I was in college, I, uh, took a class called oh gosh what was it? it was interpret like interpretation of the bible in contemporary contexts and uh one of the like this one of the it was a co-taught class and one of the professors for it used this sort of kind of three levels of interpretation model that i loved where we've got the world in front of the text or well let me the world behind the text the world of the text and the world in front of the text so the world behind the text is the original language, the Hebrew or the Greek, the, you know, historical context, the, you know, all of those things that help us understand the background of like when and how the text was written. The world of the text is kind of the literary analysis part of it, like understanding how this passage relates to others, understanding the characterization of the people who are talking and interacting with each other and, in the case of things like Paul's letters, understanding like kind of the structure of the argument and stuff and how that kind of fit into time and place there. And the world in front of the text is how we read it. You know, what is it about me particularly that leads me to read the Bible the way I do? Um, well, with that and that understanding, it, it's like a key part of kind of the world of the text here is to think about who's speaking. And it's Peter who's talking in this passage and do you know what peter is in acts three peter's a torah observant (laughs) jewish person who like you can't really accuse him of being anti-semitic because he's jewish talking in an entirely jewish environment to Mm -hmm. other jewish people Mm -hmm. 
like this isn't like race hatred on his part it's him offering up a critique of his own you know leadership and society that when we divorce ourselves from that reality and just picture peter as oh well he's a christian just like me yeah suddenly it becomes fuel for well if he said that then i can say that and act like that but that's not what he's saying and not how he's acting because he's in a very different position to say things to a jewish audience as a jewish person Mm -hmm. like this was i hadn't quite thought it about this way but uh willie james jennings who's an african-american theologian who i just over the last like six months have kind of encountered for the first time he published just in 2020 a commentary on acts that people i know who are very serious you know theologians and biblical scholars have been like have been just been in awe over his this commentary on acts so of course i at that point is like well if they say it's good i need to buy it <laughs> you know it's like done and done uh, but in looking at what he had to say about that, that was very much a perspective he adopted. Is like we're listening in on a two thousand year old conversation that was internal to a specific community at a specific time. That's actually a key. That phrase right there is just yep. We are listening in on a two thousand year old conversation from yep. specific people at a specific place in time. Um, right. I, I I think that that just a hundred percent describes why the context is so important to understand. Cause right. Like that's, if you don't, this is what you hear. Um, Exactly. Rejected the holy and righteous one and you killed the author of life. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's tough stuff. Um, Which then, you know, uh, who, who is it that said this? Because I am blanking on the person who said this, you'll probably know. Um, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Gandhi. Thank you. It says Muhammad Gandhi. Yeah. Um, just as a, a reflection of what um, Christians look like to the the outside world. Um, right. And yeah, absolutely. And it's worth noting too that our our social position as like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that probably most folks who are listening to, you know, this podcast are probably folks from the U S or other parts of, you know, kind of the developed global North, Mm -hmm. you know, in, you know, our current time period, you know, 20 early 2021 also, a decent like especially for those of us who are white with that like we're the folks who are kind of if you think about a global society we're the folks who are at the top yeah like and have been for the last 200 or so years of world history oh more than like when you have the history of you know power and colonization and stuff in the world like like it's been like it's been western europe and the united states kind of leading the way with that doing that work Mm -hmm the new Testament that we're reading is the product of the people who were colonized. You know, when Gandhi talks about like how I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Like the fundamental critique in there is that, you know, as a man from India, 
you know, fighting for the political and economic independence of his people in India. His experience of Christianity was of it being the colonizer religion mm-hmm. by people behaving like Rome in the context of, you know, 2000 years ago here, the people who were coming into Jerusalem and taking things over and laying the working with local authorities to kind of basically plunder Judea for the wealth and power of Rome. Yeah. It is so hard and read the Bible a Bible written by people who were colonized mm-hmm. when you are the people who are the colonizing time and do that in a way that's responsible and that doesn't take, you know, messages like Peter's and start skewing them out of context because it's so easy to do that. If you start taking the position and attitudes of the colonized and start identifying with them when you aren't living in those realities, when you are the person with power, when, you know, it's like, I, I, for, I wish I knew who said this first so that I could, you know, attribute the quote, but it just like punched me in the gut of several years ago to hear somebody say that Christians in the United States now, you are not Israel. You are not, you know, the people of Judea. You're Babylon. You're Rome. Like, yeah. as soon as you expand your view like just a little bit and it's like that changes everything and that's what makes you know conversations about you know the power dynamics and stuff here and the ways that we seize hold of things like this internal conversation within an oppressed group 2000 years ago and start to like try to expand it out into being something more universal than that it's like no wonder we screw it up no wonder we we have trouble with these kind of, you know, elements where power comes into it. Go yeah. Well, well, so um, something that um, I heard from uh, was said to me for the first time was by Bishop Yehiel Curry. It was before he was bishop, but um, mm-hmm. the the phrase that you should always read the Bible from the bottom up. Mm, I like that a lot. And, and yeah, I do too. And it, and it stuck with me a lot. Um, and I think that that approach is, is just very much what you were just talking about too, is to, mm-hmm. to understand um, that perspective. Right. Yep. Read it from the bottom up. And if you're not at the bottom, learn how to hear it as somebody who's not at the bottom. Yeah. Now in with the kind of openness that can lead to repentance and change and growth and development as a follower of Jesus meant to that and the repentance piece so um if anyone's that's listening is thinking like well what can we do now um just remember that repentance piece um that uh you know we we have to own that that this is a part of our past um and let's do what we can to not make it a part of our future awesome well thanks well um all right that is it for this week um i hope that you can join us next week on shit they don't tell you on sunday Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash shit they don't tell you on Sunday. And you can listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, also, uh, please share this podcast with um, friends and families that you, you think might want to journey with us or that would just, you know, uh, uh, appreciate um, hearing some, some truth and authentic conversation about the Bible. All right. Take care, everyone. <laughs>